Grace and peace to you from Him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before His throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood and has made us a kingdom and priests to serve as God and Father, to Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Dear friends in Christ, imagine a young man Let's call him Max. Max is one of those guys who thinks the world was populated by fools until he came along. And he is happy to pass on the proof of that to everyone he can. He fancies himself a scientist, though he is only in his first year of college, and he also proudly calls himself a skeptic insisting that there can be only one standard for truth and reality. And he is amazed that something so obvious has been so overlooked by so many other so-called scholars and intellectuals who came before him. His standard is simple. He will not accept as true or real anything that he cannot see with his own eyes. Taking someone else's word that something is the case simply will not do. He has to see it for himself. So imagine the frustration of his first college physics professor when Max interrupts the lesson to declare that there can be no such thing as magnetism because it can't be seen. The same, he says, goes for gravity and electricity. And don't even get him started on things like atoms and quarks and quantum mechanics. While the professor, dumbfounded, struggles to find words, Max's fellow students try to help. They, they cite example after example of how you can see magnetism drawing two objects together, how you can see gravity when an object falls to the ground, and even how complex experiments have proved the existence of subatomic particles. But none of it helps. Max stands firm. It can't be real if it can't itself be seen. Now, how far do you think he will get with a career in science if he continues with his skepticism. Now, we can easily identify Max's attitude toward what cannot be seen as, as foolish when applied to physics. But amazingly, many people apply basically the same standard to the spiritual and pat themselves on the back for their intellectual bravery and rigor, saying things like, I won't believe in a God who won't show himself to me. Or, you'd have to be stupid to put your trust in or center your life around someone or something you can't see. Obviously, as Christians, we understand whose position there really is the foolish one. But still many believers make a similar, though far less radical, mistake. Whether through skepticism or simple inattention, they play down the work and even the existence of the Holy Spirit because He is so hard to see. 
They have no problem with the Father because He created and sustains the world, and that is easy to see. And they have no problem with the Son because He took on human flesh and showed Himself to, to the world as Jesus. But what tangible evidence of the Spirit can anyone point them to? Well, the standard answer to such questions or attitudes might be to, to point out that that much about God is, is necessarily hidden from us. And that is especially true of the Holy Spirit. But the day of Pentecost proves that we can go farther than that. There is much that we can point to and say, see, there He is. The Spirit, you see, is hidden in plain sight. Now, of course, to a certain extent, that sounds nonsensical. The very idea of spirit says formless, and without a form, there is nothing to see. The Holy Spirit is invisible. But just as the Father made Himself known through His creative work, and the Son made Himself known through His incarnation, so also the Spirit can make Himself known through various works and manifestations. But for the most part, He does not want to. He is by no means shy or, or lacking in confidence, but He prefers to remain in the background, so to speak, and keep people's attention off of Himself. There is nothing hey, look at me-ish about the Holy Spirit because His number one desire and concern is to put people's focus on Jesus Christ, their Savior. To know Him, to believe in Him, to be forgiven and freed through Him, and to be saved for all eternity. But still, the Holy Spirit is not hard to find. Because He is at work throughout the world and throughout history. Jesus compared the Spirit to the wind when He was teaching Nicodemus about baptism. I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water in the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. It is a very good illustration. If you look out the window and you see the trees bending and swaying deeply, and you see leaves and branches falling to the ground a long way from where they started, you know that there is a mighty wind blowing. But you don't actually see the wind. You just see what the wind is doing. Perhaps you even hear it. And if you went outside, you would feel it. It is the same with the Holy Spirit. We do not see Him, but we are able to perceive Him from what He does. It was surely no mere coincidence then that when the Spirit wished to announce His presence among the assembled group of apostles and believers on Pentecost morning, that they heard the sound of a mighty wind. 
And even His presence at the very beginning, at creation, is described in wind-like terms. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the spirit of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Christians tend not to think of the Holy Spirit as doing much before Pentecost because in a proportional sense, He is not mentioned all that often in the Old Testament and even in the Gospels. But just because He wasn't drawing attention to Himself doesn't mean that He wasn't there. The Spirit of the Lord was active in enabling Israel's leaders to lead and inspiring God's prophets to prophesy, including the writing of the books that we have as the Old Testament. And perhaps most strikingly, the Spirit gave His prophets glimpses of what was to come to prepare them for Christ and for His salvation and for His commission to His people. We see this vividly in Peter's quotation from the prophet Joel in his Pentecost sermon, as we read in Acts 2 today. We also see the Holy Spirit at work in many events of Christ's life. He played the instrumental role in conceiving Jesus inside Mary's womb. He also filled Mary and Elizabeth and Zechariah, John the Baptist's parents, so that they might proclaim the wonders of the Lord in connection with those miraculous pregnancies and births. The Spirit filled John for his ministry of of preaching and baptizing. And, And when it came time for Jesus himself to be baptized, the Father spoke from heaven, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove. Christ also made regular reference to the Spirit in his teaching, And especially on the night that he was betrayed, he told his disciples, as we read in our gospel today, to expect the gift of the Spirit in a special and powerful way. Post-Pentecost Acts gives us even more abundant evidence of the Holy Spirit at work. He's there inspiring the apostles in their preaching and teaching. He's there equipping believers for ministry and even miracles. He's there guiding the young church and its missionaries and and much more. And Paul, in his letters, is especially careful to teach believers about the Spirit's role in, in creating and sustaining faith in Christ for salvation, as well as his other gifts, from speaking in tongues to leadership and service. But most of all, where we are told to find the Holy Spirit, hidden but real and active, is in the means of grace. The Holy Spirit does His work through the Gospel, which He gives us in the Word, the Bible, and in the sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. It is tragic that there are Christians who desperately seek the presence and power of the Spirit in things like energetic music, excited worship, miracle-seeking, and tongues-speaking, but never really find Him because they neglect or ignore the places where He is always found, where He is promised always to be found. 
Just as the Holy Spirit inspired the writers of the Scripture in every word, He still works through the Bible to create and nurture faith. And He does the same through the sacraments, conveying to us every gift of the Gospel. Forgiveness for our sins. Salvation. Peace. Joy, love, and eternal life. Everything Christ the Son of God came and gave His life to win for us. Which is precisely what we should expect. Because the Spirit is all about connecting sinners to Jesus and His work for us. As Jesus told His disciples in today's Gospel. This is pretty much the Spirit's only purpose with us. And we could say that there is nothing more important because there is no other way to salvation or to the Father in heaven. Christ is the only Savior there is. And without Him, without faith in Him, each and every one of us, every sinner, gets what he or she truly deserves death and hell. So the Holy Spirit's work connecting sinners to the Son of God begins with bringing those who do not see or who do not want to see their sin and guilt to confess their desperate corruption and their need for a Savior. And He then works repentance, a a turning away from sin and turning to God in faith. And when He works faith in someone who previously did not believe, whether He does so through the Word or, or through baptism, that faith takes hold of Christ and everything that He accomplished for us. Forgiveness for every sin. Peace with God. Perfect righteousness. Eternal life in heaven. Healing of every spiritual wound. The Spirit wants sinners restored to the family of God. Restored to the fellowship and perfection intended for all people when God first created man. And with the gift of faith and all that faith takes hold of, this is exactly what He does for us. Of course, that is not all. The Holy Spirit is also called the Sanctifier. Not only because of the way that He makes us completely holy before God when when we take hold of God's gift of salvation in Christ, but also because of His ongoing work of sanctification in which He helps us grow in Christian maturity with greater holiness and devotion to the Lord in our daily living, and with more and more good works done out of love for our Savior and for our neighbor who needs our love. We cooperate with the Spirit in our sanctification, but it is clear that He does most all of the work. But sanctification, you see, gives us yet another way to see the Spirit in plain sight. His presence is evident in our lives and in our works of love and mercy and service and in those of other Christians as well. So now that we see the Spirit, what do we do? We will not ignore Him, but at the same time, there is no need to give Him attention that He does not desire. 
Instead, we honor Him best and honor Him most by doing the very things that He seeks from us. Repenting of our sins regularly, fully, daily. Trusting Christ for salvation, peace, forgiveness, and healing. And counting on all of God's promises to His people. And living lives of holiness in this world until we reach the next. Pleasing God and being of good use to our neighbors. And of course, we honor the Spirit also by taking His message and sharing it as our own, as Jesus said His disciples would do. By telling others all about the Savior who came from heaven to redeem, reconcile, and restore them so that they might be free of sin and guilt and instead have perfection and paradise. So sure, yeah. We freely admit that we count on someone we cannot see with our eyes. But we know that He is hidden in plain sight for all who are willing to see. The Holy Spirit does great work. Hallelujah. Amen. Please rise. Now may the God of hope fill you with complete joy and peace as you continue to believe so that you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.